copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 6. This morning we'll be looking at the first six verses of Mark 6. We continue on with our series through uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, in sports there is something that is known as a home court advantage. Uh, that is when uh, a team does better when they, when they are at home than they do when they are away. And uh, we need look no further than our own University of Kentucky Wildcats for an example of that. Uh, when they are at home, they see, they team, uh, seem to play a whole lot better than they do on the road. And the idea is, that, is this: when you're at home, in theory, uh, your people have your back. In theory, they are there to support you when you are at home. This morning, we see Jesus returns home to Nazareth and. When he goes home, the reception is not what we might think it would be. You know, it's somewhat similar for us as believers today. Perhaps the people that are most difficult for us to witness to, the people that are most difficult for us to to reach and share the gospel with, is our own family. Those who are close to us, loved ones, relatives, even maybe even within our own household. It can be very difficult at times and It can be a disadvantage in some ways. But you know what? We should not be surprised because Jesus, his own people, rejected him. And why would we expect to be any different in our lives? You know, we need to realize that not everyone will understand or appreciate our devotion to Jesus Christ. Yet that should not deter us when it comes to living out our faith and witnessing to them when the opportunity arises. You know, realize not, not everyone will understand or appreciate your faith in Jesus Christ, but never let that stop you from sharing the old, old story. I want to invite you to stand with me if you are able to this morning in reverence for the reading of God's Word. As we're looking at Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 1, these words were written by Mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says, Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him, and such miracles as performed by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we have come into this place today Father, with a sense uh, of gratitude. Lord, thanking you for all the blessings you have bestowed on us in our lives. Father, we come with a sense of humility, knowing, God, we are sinners and we do not deserve to be in the presence of such a holy God. Father, we come with a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, God, that you would love us so much that you would let your Son, send your Son to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven by putting our faith and trust in Him, and so that we could know You and live a life that is pleasing to You. 
So, Father, we come with a sense of expectation this morning as, as your word is preached and as the power of the Holy Spirit is at work. Lord, we fully expect you to do great things today. Father, our prayer is, why not me? Father, why not do something great in my life? Why not boost my faith today? Why not touch my heart? Why not save my soul today? Why not restore my walk with you today? Father, we believe all things are possible when we put our faith, our trust in you. Father, speak to us through your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So coming to Mark chapter 6 today, we have reached the conclusion of a mini-section in the Gospel of Mark. This began back in chapter 4. Remember, after Jesus had his, his parable discourse, he and the disciples went out onto the sea of Galilee and they came across a storm and Jesus miraculously calmed the storm and with that there was a string of miracles that followed he he cast a demon or demons out of the man named Legion he he healed the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years he raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead and and with that the common theme that is stretched all across that is faith Jesus taught them constantly the disciples about faith Remember, he told them, why are you afraid? Do you still not believe? Remember, he told the woman with the issue of blood, daughter, your faith has made you well, or your faith has saved you. And when the people came out of Jairus' home and said, don't bother the teacher anymore, your daughter is dead, what did Jesus tell Jairus? Do not be afraid. Only believe. Keep on trusting in me. You've started this journey of faith. Don't bail now. Don't let the circumstances cause you to fear. Keep on faithing. Keep on believing. So the common theme has been faith and trust in Jesus. And as a result, great things happen. Now we contrast that to what we find here today. In Mark 6, when Jesus comes home to Nazareth, there is not faith. There is the opposite. There is unbelief there. And through this, we learn some valuable lessons about our walk with Christ and our attempts to live for Him and to share our faith with others. The first thing we see here in verses 1 and 2 is His preparation of His followers. Some valuable lessons being taught by Jesus to his disciples and in essence to us as well as we are his disciples. Back in chapter 3, Jesus called them so what? They would be with him and he might send them out to preach and cast out demons. To this point in our story, they have been with Jesus and they have seen the reaction and the responses to Jesus. Some positive some negative and they are learning through this what Jesus expects of his followers one of the things is this in verse 1 a constant mobility a constant mobility Jesus never stayed in one place for too long why? because people need to hear the gospel we can get so comfortable in our own settings our own environments that we don't go out with the gospel. 
on mission as we ought to. But that's not Jesus. Verse 1, Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown. His disciples followed him. Jesus was always on the go because there were lost people out there. And he needed to come into contact with them so that they might come to put their faith in him and be saved. We see in verse 1 it says he came into his hometown and this was Nazareth where he was reared. We know he was born in Bethlehem and, and Joseph and Mary had went to Egypt when he was young and then returned back to Galilee and lived in their hometown of Nazareth once again. In the early part of Jesus' ministry, his home base was in Capernaum, just a little bit north of Nazareth there. But he, in this series of, of verses, he has come back to Nazareth where he was raised. And we see the contrast here in verse 1. It says, his hometown and his disciples. There is a difference, you see. There is a difference in being close to Jesus and being around Jesus and knowing a lot of things about Jesus and being a full-fledged follower, a disciple of Jesus. Marcus emphasized this all throughout the early part of his gospel. It's an us versus them thing. Either you're on board with Christ or you're not. There's no rod in the fence. He comes to his hometown on the one hand, and his disciples on the other hand are with him. And there is a constant mobility about him that we ought to have as well. Then in verse 2, we see a consistent message. A consistent message. Jesus began his ministry, you remember back in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. He said, the time has come, as the time has been fulfilled, the kingdom of God has arrived. Repent, therefore, and believe in the gospel. That was his message. People everywhere should repent because they're all sinners. They need to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. Believe the message of Jesus. That's the only way to be saved. That was his consistent message, and that's what he wants his disciples, that's what he wants us to remember. As we are going constantly, we need a consistent gospel message. Repent and believe in Christ. Verse 2, it says, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. This isn't the first time that Jesus has been teaching in the synagogue. Back in chapter 1, he came and he taught, not in Nazareth, probably in Capernaum, he taught, and people were amazed at his authority. And he cast a demon out of a man in the synagogue. Then we fast forward to chapter 3, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and the religious leaders reject Jesus. So now we find Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth, he once again is in the synagogue. It says he's teaching, and it doesn't specifically say what he's teaching, but we can infer it from all the rest of the gospel here. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching, you all are sinners. You need to repent, and you need to trust in me to be saved. That's his consistent message, and he never wavered. He sees the opportunities as the doors opened, and he proclaimed the only saving message. We ought to do the same. Most of us are familiar with what a template is, aren't we? A, a template is something you use, kind of like a, 
a, a, a masterpiece a, that, that we copy something from. If you're involved in construction, you know what that is. Or if you're working on arts and crafts, uh, last night Nancy and Kylie were, were designing some crafts and they cut out some hearts and some things and they were using that as a template because you take the, the, the master pattern and you copy everything off that master pattern. Jesus, brothers and sisters, is our template. As He is going and as He is teaching, as He is going and as He is speaking, that is our model. We know no other mission. We are to be going and sharing. He gave us the Great Commission. It says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. That's our mission. That's why we exist as a church. That's what we are to do as disciples of Christ. Go on mission. Be going in our communities, going in our state, nation, even around the world, and opening our mouth and proclaiming the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for sins. Jesus rose again to give victory over sin and death. And the only way to be saved is trusting in Him and what He has done and not what we have done. Jesus is our template as He prepared His followers. We ought to have a constant mobility and a consistent message as we go. The second thing we see in this is Jesus comes across some rejection to Himself and His message. As the people there, their preoccupation was on familiarity been said before familiarity breeds content and that's exactly what Jesus found here was the hometown boy we would think that Nazareth was a very small community a very small town not renowned for much remember Nathaniel asked in John chapter 1 Nazareth can anything good come out of Nazareth a little hole in the wall place you would think they would be excited that one of their own was going out into the towns and villages. One of their own was showing people the way of God. One of their own was doing mighty works of God and miracles, healing the sick, casting out demons, calming the storm. You would think they would be thrilled to receive back one of their own. You thought maybe it would be Jesus' day in Nazareth. Maybe they'd give him the key to the city, whatever it is that they gave in those days. Undoubtedly, they had heard of all he had done. But that wasn't the reception that he was given. You see, they were skeptical of his authority. First of all, skeptical of his authority. They were asking, what gives you the right to tell us what to do? What gives you the right to tell us that we're not right with God? I'm a good Jew. I go to the synagogue and I, and I, and I pay my offerings. I go to Jerusalem, I go to the temple, and I offer up my sacrifices there. All my little ones, I, I teach them the ways of God. Who are you to tell me I'm not right with God? Who are you to say you need, that we need to trust in you and you alone? You see in verse 2 it says, they, they denied his words and they doubted his works. They had heard all that he had been teaching as he was teaching there. They had heard all the stories of his works. 
But you see, they were very skeptical of his authority. Verse 2, it says, As he taught, the many listeners were astonished. It could be translated, shocked. Almost a sense of, of dread and fear gripped them as he began to teach them the fact that they were separated from God because of their own sinfulness. They were astonished. They began saying, where did this man get these things? His, his, his words that he, that he is saying. Where did this man get these things and this wisdom that's given to him? This man is expounding to us the deep things of God, but yet he's given it to us in a way that we can understand it. And so they began to deny his words. You see, because they, they knew Jesus. They remembered little Jesus that was knee-high to the grasshopper. They remembered him in the community. Yeah, he was a nice boy. He was a good kid. But there was nothing special about him. What gives him the right? What's the source of his power? Where did he get these words, this wisdom? You know, remember the, the Pharisees? They had an idea about where Jesus got his power, didn't they? Back in chapter 3, remember what they said? This man cast out demons by the prince of demons. Maybe that was kind of what they were thinking. There's no way this man from our community could do these things unless there is something spooky going on. Something's not right there. They were skeptical of his authority. They denied his words. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. They were shocked, astonished. They doubted his works. They said, if he's able to do these things that people are say, is the saying that he's doing, I don't know, I'm kind of, kind of leery of this guy. They were also critical of his ancestry. In verse 3, they were saying, what makes you so special? He had no special pedigree about himself. You see, he had no formal direction, no, for, no formal direction or education. They said, is this not the carpenter? Is this not the man who, who builds stuff and makes things out of wood and stone? Isn't this the man who works with his own hands? Isn't this the man who's a blue-collar fella just like the rest of us? He has no formal training. He didn't learn underneath some scribe or some rabbi. Why do we need to listen to him? There's nothing special about him. He's just one of us. Not only was there no formal direction, there was no familial distinction about him. They said, we know you and we know your folks. We know your family. They said, isn't this, in verse 3, the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now, this was a little bit different for someone in their day and age to speak about somebody because you weren't really known by your mother you were known by primarily your father but his father is not mentioned here and there's been some speculation of that one of the reasons being perhaps Joseph was dead at this point and that's probably some truth to that because nothing is really mentioned of him after Luke chapter 2 when Jesus was 12 years old nothing else is mentioned about Joseph and so it's perhaps Joseph had passed Jesus had grieved the loss of his earthly father. And, and I offer that to you to say this. If you've lost a loved one, Jesus is no stranger to that. He can sympathize with you. 
He's felt the pain of loss. And he can give you, source, give you a source of strength and comfort. But maybe Joseph was dead, but even still then a man was still known by his father. Could it be by bringing up the fact that he was the son of Mary that they were remembering the stories of the virgin birth years ago? Remember, this was the hometown of Joseph and Mary, and they knew that they were betrothed. But before they came together, she was found to be with child. Maybe they were saying, Jesus, you're illegitimate. You're not even the son of Joseph. Maybe this was a barb, maybe this was a jab at his own upbringing. That we don't even think Joseph was your dad. We don't even know who your dad was. You're the son of Mary. And so they begin, whenever somebody doesn't like what you have to say, a lot of times what they'll do, they begin to attack your character, don't they? We've all been there and done that. And here's Jesus. They're saying, you're the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. They're not off the deep end like you are. They're still here in our community. They're building tables and uh, they're, they're making plows and, and tools and things that we can use. And here you are, standing up here acting like the Messiah, acting like you're God's gift. He was God's gift. But see, they were so familiar with Jesus that they didn't even notice that he was in their presence. You know, that's a very danger to us as well. People like myself being born and raised in church, we've been around Jesus all our lives. We've heard the teachings of Jesus. We've heard the stories of all that Jesus has done. And we hear it, and we hear it, and we hear it, and we get to the point where we're like, yeah, yeah, I know. The cross, yeah, I've heard that. Empty tomb, yeah, heard that too. And we begin to kind of tune out and we begin to not even recognize when Jesus himself is present with us because we're too familiar with the whole story. I challenge you today. Open up your mind and open up your heart. Embrace the freshness of the Holy Spirit and the gospel message. They said that your brother and your sisters are here with us and they took offense at him. Literally, they were scandalized by him. Someone like you would dare tell me what I need to believe and I need to do spiritually. How dare you? It's very closed-minded of you. It's very, very hateful of you. Very arrogant of you to say such things. And I point this out because I dare say we've all heard these things before. When we try to tell people exactly what Jesus was telling people, that we're all sinners in need of God's grace and forgiveness. And the only way to receive it is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and trusting in Him because He alone paid the price he alone satisfied the wrath and the requirements of God. People will attack us like they attacked Jesus. And we should expect that. 
You know, there was a Super Bowl commercial came on last week where there was a a uh, army vet. I don't know if you all remember seeing this. He returned home, and when he returned home, there was a big parade in his honor, and uh, he was recognized by the community, and and rightfully so. Uh, these are men and women deserving our respect and admiration for what they do, and we as communities need to be supporting and and and, and backing them up, as any good hometown ought to do. But we know that's not always the case, is it? I've heard stories about post-Vietnam War veterans returning home, being disgraced and ridiculed by their own citizens, spit upon and called names and hated and shamed. You know, what about your testimony? When you begin to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people that you know and love and care about deeply, are they ready to receive what you have to say? Or are they saying, you know what, I've seen you at your worst. You're nothing more than a hypocrite. And you know what, in some ways we are, because none of us are perfect. But you know what, hypocrites need Jesus Christ. Hypocrites need to be forgiven. Hypocrites need the grace and the mercy of God. And that's available to all of us. Thank God it was available to me. Thank God it's available to you. Have you availed yourself to His grace and His mercy yet? I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. His grace is sufficient for you. Don't be scandalized by what the gospel has to say to you. Acknowledge it and say, you know what? You're right. I am a sinner. I am deserving of hell. I don't deserve heaven. Praise God. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Their preoccupation was with familiarity. Don't let it be the case with you. Open your heart and mind to the freshness of the gospel today. Finally, in verses 4 through 6, we see the results of what was taking place. Unfortunately, we see his preclusion due to faithlessness. In other words, their lack of faith prevented him from doing marvelous things. And that's always the case. When there is faithlessness on our part, there is a lack of miracle coming from his end. We see in verse 4 that unbelief hardens our will. And he quotes a familiar proverb in that day and age. And he says to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his own relatives, and in his own household. And we see the, the shrinking concentric circles there. Hometown, relatives, even our own household. And as that circle shrinks, a rejection of the gospel hurts us more and more as people that we know and love don't understand or appreciate our affection for Jesus Christ and our devotion to Him. And as we are rejected, understand it's not, it's not us that's being rejected. It's not, our, it's not our point of view that's being rejected. It's the gospel. It's Jesus himself 
And if you are being rejected by those you know and love, guess what? So was he. And as you pray for and you plead for your loved ones to be saved, don't think for one minute he doesn't know what that feels like. His own hometown, his own relatives shunned him. And this was the Son of God. How much more will they do to us? As Carolyn read Scripture for us a while ago, if they hated him, what are they going to do to us? Unbelief hardens our wills. Jesus says here, a prophet. A prophet is a man who speaks the words of God. A prophet is one who speaks on behalf of God. And as you open your mouth up and you begin to, to speak the reality of the Scriptures, in function you are being a prophet. And as those refuse to accept the words of a prophet, they are hardening their will. And their pride prevents them from accepting what is being said regardless of the evidence that's being supported. Here was Jesus doing all these mighty works and they still did not want to believe in Him. Many of us watched this week the creation debate that was on the internet and I think it was been on television and I encourage you if you haven't had a chance yet to try to check out some of it if you can there was two gentlemen with two different point of views one believed in creationism one believed in evolution both presenting their evidence and at the end of the day neither one of them changed their point of view neither, other, neither one of them was going to change their point of view regardless of the evidence being supported or the evidence being presented Human pride prevents us from acknowledging, you know what, I'm wrong. And when you are witnessing to someone who does not believe what you believe, it's not that your presentation needs to be more creative or you need to be smarter or choose your words better. It's a heart problem. It's a will problem. Something supernatural has to change the human heart to accept the message. Holy Spirit has got to melt the ice that has encased the human hearts in order for that person to believe what's being said. You don't have to be smarter or more aggressive or more winsome. All these things, you need, you need to be creative in your presentation, but understand it's not about you. If you can talk them into it, someone can talk them out of it. It's about the Holy Spirit doing what only He can do. Unbelief hardens the will and pride sets in and hills get dug into the sand and people begin to say, how dare you tell me what I need to do and, and I'm not going to do what you tell me to do or what you tell me to believe in. And unbelief makes the will even harder. Verse 5 tells us unbelief hinders his work. There are some things that Jesus is capable of doing, but unbelief hinders this from happening. Verse 5 says he could do no miracle there. And right there, there's a theologically troubling verse. People say, wait a minute, he's the Son of God. You tell me he can't do something? My answer to that is he could not because he would not. He says, if there is no faith, I will not pour out the fullness of my blessing. If there is no trust in me and my message, I will not bless in the way that I am capable of blessing. 
That was the reality then. That's the reality now. He could not do any mighty work there. But then notice this. It says, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Right away, he's got the power to do it. I believe there was those few desperate folks. Remember last week's message? At the end of their rope, nowhere else to turn but Jesus. They put their faith in him and he healed them. So he put his hands on them and did a mighty work. Maybe you're here today. You need Jesus to put his hand on you and you need a mighty work in your life. It starts with faith. It starts with a desperate need for Jesus and no one else and getting to Jesus at all costs. These few people did that. They were rewarded. The rest did not believe. And the mighty things Jesus could have done in their lives, they let it pass them by. All because of human pride, stubbornness. You know, he limited himself to a response of faith. And I believe there's a reason for this. Because spiritual healing is much more important than physical healing. And Jesus was teaching a lesson. If you want me to do for you and solve your greatest need to be saved, you've got to have faith. I can't save you. I won't save you unless you have faith. And to demonstrate that, Jesus said, I won't heal you folks because you don't have faith. Now, we're not teaching the health and wealth gospel that says if you, if you just believe enough, everything will be healed, you'll be rich, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. We're not putting God in a box here, folks. He's sovereign. He's going to do what He's going to do. But what it is saying here is if you don't trust Him and you don't put your faith in Him, then what He's capable of doing, He won't do. He won't bless your life because you don't believe in Him and trust in Him enough. So he laid His hands on a few sick people and healed them and did a mighty work. Just like He did the little girl that was dead in chapter 5, just like he did the woman that had been bleeding for 12 years, laid his hands on, touched. The touch of the Master brought healing. And the greatest healing we need is spiritually. And it requires faith to be saved. There's no other way. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11. Finally, we see unbelief hastens his wonder. It hastens his wonder. It says, and he wondered at their unbelief. He marveled. He scratched his head and was puzzled. There are only two times in the Gospels where it said that Jesus marveled or Jesus wondered. This case, when there was no faith, and in Luke chapter 7, verse 9, where Jesus marveled over the faith the great faith that a centurion had when he said, Heal my servants. I'm not worthy of you even coming to my house, but you just say the word, and I believe that you're capable of healing him. And it says, Jesus marveled and said, What great faith. 
Do you want Jesus to marvel and be wondered? Either believe or don't believe. A great faith or a lack of faith in spite of all that you see and hear. Unbelief hastens his wonder. You know, sadly, this is the last time in, in Mark's gospel that it's mentioned that Jesus goes to the synagogue. First time he was rejected by the religious leaders. Second time he was rejected by his own people. Never again enters into a synagogue and we have no other record of him ever coming back to Nazareth after this. Quite possibly this was the last opportunity that many of these folks had to get right with God. And their stubborn unbelief let it pass them right by. And they weren't saved. The seed of the gospel had fallen on a hard path. Mark chapter 4. The birds came and snatched up the seed before it had an opportunity to penetrate. What about you? As the seed of the gospel is being cast here today, the reality of who Jesus is and what He has done has been heard. Has it penetrated your heart? You heard it with your ears. Maybe you understand it with your mind, but if it hasn't taken root in your heart and your will and you have not bowed the knee and surrendered yourself to Christ, you're not saved. There has got to be an inner transformation for you to be made right with God. Submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. Rejecting Jesus and His gospel message prevents the most necessary miracle of all. Being saved. Being saved from the wrath of a holy God by the grace of a loving God. You need to realize not everyone will understand or appreciate your faith in Jesus. They didn't understand and appreciate Him. Why would we think everybody's got to understand and appreciate us? as we live for Him and we begin to tell others about Him. But you know what I'm here to tell you this morning? Don't lose hope in Jesus. Don't lose hope in Jesus because you see, His own family started out rejecting Him. We read throughout the Gospels, Mary began to follow Jesus, His mother. Later on we see that His brothers James and Jude wrote books of the Bible. His own family eventually were won over to faith in Christ. What about you? What about, what about your family? Have you given up hope on them yet? I had an uncle named Buddy came to faith in Christ late in life. People had prayed for him for years. His Christian wife had lived a, a godly uh, life in front of him for many years. Late in life, the Lord touched his heart, opened his heart and mind to believe, and he accepted Christ as his Savior. And it wasn't long after that I had the opportunity to preach his funeral. Don't give up. I know many of you personally have family members that are lost, family members that have rejected time and time again your invitation to accept Jesus Christ. I'm here to encourage you this morning. Don't lose hope. Jesus was rejected initially. Later on, some of those folks began to follow Him and did great and mighty things in His name. 
I've seen evidence in my own family and there are other family members I have that are lost and need Christ. I'm not going to lose hope in the gospel. I'm going to keep believing that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. There's no other hope that we have. The world has. Realize not everybody's going to understand or appreciate your faith in Christ. They didn't stop him from doing what he did. He went, he loved, he shared. Let us do the same. Let us go. Let us love. Let us share the reality of Jesus Christ, the power of his gospel. Let us pray. Father, we've come before you today. A deep appreciation, Lord, for who you are. Father, so grateful that you have given us this word, the Bible. God, we're not left in the dark. You have told us who you are. You have told us who we are. You have shown us there is a problem. That problem is sin. We all have it. And you have shown us the the cure. You have yourself enacted the cure for us. All we've got to do is by faith reach out and take it. Surrender. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, surrender to Christ. It's the only hope you have of being saved. The only hope you have of eternal life in heaven. The fullness of joy in His presence. Is our life, our, our, our sin, is it worth our stubborn refusal to bow to Him? Is it really worth it to gain the world and forfeit your soul? Heavenly Father, move in our midst today. Touch hearts. In the midst of this cold temperature and the ice and the snow. Melt the hardness of the human heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. Your presence is here. Move us the direction we need to go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as we sing our invitation hymn. If you've got a decision to make, whether it be to accept Christ as your Savior, rededicate your life, join this church, baptism, a call to the ministry or mission field, whatever it is God is leading you to do, the altar is open if you want to come and kneel and pray for yourself, pray for someone you know, for family members that are have hearts that are hardened to the gospel. Come and pray for their salvation. I'm here to pray for you or with you or counsel you.